With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, good day, good day. Welcome to the program at the end of another very busy week in world affairs. I want to tell you about a number of things related to the war in Gaza in the program, including a series of raids in Germany on premises alleged to be the operational bunkers for Hezbollah. Now, Germany is not the only country preparing and bracing for local violence or even acts of terror related to the deaths of so many Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. There are other countries looking very closely at targets and suspects that they've been following in recent years, and this is a time of heightened alert, as you'd imagine. I'll be speaking with anti-terror and intelligence expert Shane Healy in this program, who predicted a spillover from Israel's war last week on the show. He also predicted what happened 20 hours ago with the attack on Israeli police on the border with West Bank. It was a bloody affair, and there's likely to be more attacks of the same order on various borders to Israel. Shane will give us his insight, too, into the most contentious question of the week, as to whether Hamas is using hospitals as shields and whether they have used the prime hospital, Al Shofar, for holding hostages and storing weapons. We'll find out a little bit later. Political content creator and former Hollywood actress Natalie Jean Beisner. She will join us soon, live from L.A., She'll discuss the infamous Letter to America by Osama bin Laden, written nearly two decades ago, which has now gone viral online since the current escalation of the Middle East crisis. Natalie will also discuss the very public infighting at conservative media outlet The Daily Wire between Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens. And a whole heap more to speak with Natalie about today. From Down Under, we'll be looking at the big stories through the eyes of political freedom fighter John Ruddick, MLC, the leader of the Liberal Democratic Party. We'll talk with John about Joe Biden's description of Chinese President Xi Jinping as a dictator because it sent the Chinese into an absolute tailspin, has not gone down too well at all. We must discuss the embarrassment of the weakened federal parliament with the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, running the political and legislative agenda of the country from the opposition ranks. It was Dutton, of course, who initiated safeguards to protect the public from any harm perpetrated by the 84 detainees released from custody. So as soon as Anthony Albanese left the country, things got done, even if they were led by the opposition of all parties. But there's a bigger story behind this too, by the way. The role played by the new Chief Justice of the High Court, an extreme left-winger, appointed by Anthony Albanese himself. That's the story as to the reason why we're dealing with 84 detainees in the first place. John Ruddick with that and more. And before we leave you, I will speak with one of the presenters appearing at this weekend's Australians for Science and Freedom Conference. So a busy show at a busy time in world history, as you'd appreciate. Come and have your say on our talkback lines and let our audience know what you think. You can dial in from the US or Canada on one 
20164251025 from the UK 0330024 and from Australia or New Zealand 1800670310 they are our talkback numbers they are your hotline for a democratic say on the issues facing us right now. You're with Chris Smith, broadcasting from the Gold Coast in Queensland this week on the Global News Talk Network, tntradio.live. News reported fairly. They are a reliable source. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, there's a particular process going on at the moment in the capital to determine which lawyers are elevated to the bench in the United States that I find absolutely riveting. And I know from the social media chit-chat, so do many people right around the world. And I spoke about it briefly on the show last week and played some audio for you of a session in which a Biden administration nominee for the federal court was quizzed by a congressional committee about her weirdo wokey comments during the pandemic about making sure the judiciary was not sending criminals to prison unless they were convicted. So anyone charged with the most heinous of crimes would be released back into the community. Because we didn't want them to catch COVID now, did we? Just an outrageous left-wing numpskull theory of justice. And the nominee herself squirmed in the hot seat like a bat under lights, it was embarrassing. Well, there are lawyers and political correspondents astonished at what they're seeing before the Senate Judiciary Committee this month. It's been a conga line of dummies, a conga line. Who selects these supposed up-and-coming legal eagles? Because if this lot, this month, are the best they can put up, Americans will be so badly let down and served by the next generation of young judges, it's not funny. Take Sarah E. Hill. She's been nominated by the president to be the district judge for the Northern District of Oklahoma. Poor old Sarah. Well, wasn't she grilled this week by one of my favourite senators in the entire world, John Kennedy, the Republican lawyer from Louisiana. Now, Kennedy is an outstanding prosecutor, sometimes bordering on persecutor. He comes well-planned for these judicial job interviews, which is basically what they are, and rarely misses nailing these inexperienced nominees. As for his latest victim, the aspiring Sarah Hill, well, she obviously hadn't done her homework on who sat on the Senate Judiciary Committee and who John Kennedy was. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been all smiles as she took her seat and started cruising through some of the early questions. But then came the Louisiana lasso. Kennedy took the basic approach to his questions, throwing some very simple legal and constitutional terms at Sir Sarah Hill. Now, as a lawyer himself, this would have been easy peasy. Just pitch up some terms that any district court judge would need to know in the course of their duties. The kind of stuff Ms. that Sarah... Hill, what is collateral estoppel? Collateral estoppel. Um, <laughs> I think collateral estoppel. Um, well, Senator, I will say that my practice, my 20 years of practice, has primarily been dealing with issues relating to um, criminal law or relating to other areas of the law. Yes, and if you don't know, just tell me. I, I, 
I certainly do know collateral estoppel. I'm okay. finding that the bright lights of the what, moment are um, what, making what it hard is? for me to recall it. Oh, no. Bong, bong. Sarah got lassoed. Collateral estoppel is not necessarily something that's more akin to a particular part of the law. It's not related to, say, insurance or it's not related to criminality. No, 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 no. It's used right across the judiciary. And I had a, had, had a look at what it meant because I didn't know. I'm not a lawyer, let alone applying to become a district judge. Collateral estoppel. It's a noun and it's a situation in which a judgment in one case prevents estops, a party to that suit, from trying to litigate the issue in another legal action. So you can't replicate what is going on in one part of the judicial system to try and get the result that you want. And it's not a rarity, by the way. It's not an extraneous term. Um, For example, if a person sues a company for a car accident and loses, they cannot sue the same company again for the same accident elsewhere. That's what it means. But let's give Sarah the benefit of the doubt on that one, all right? Let's give her another shot. Here's John Kennedy with something from his first-year law books. What's the difference between a stay order and an injunction? Two orders frequently issued by federal courts. The difference between a stay order and an injunction. A stay stay order would prohibit... um, Sorry. An, in, an injunction would re- restrain the parties from taking action. A state order, I'm not sure that I actually can uh, can give you the... Okay. That. Oh, no. Bonk, bonk. She was lassoed, hogtied, and put on a spit. For the record, an injunction is an order from the court which prohibits a party in a case from performing or ordering a specific act, a specific act as the case continues either temporarily or permanently, sometimes referred to as a temporary restraining order. A stay order is issued to stop the legal proceedings of a case in court, and as an old TV court reporter, I know what both of these terms mean, and every lawyer worth their salt would know as well. But not the potential next district court judge for northern Oklahoma. Another poor showing from her, Sarah Hill. Now, on the platform X, it was interesting. Some legal reaction. Carrie Severino, constitutional lawyer and president of the Judicial Crisis Network, commented about Sarah Hill's failure to find those last two definitions, stay, order and injunction, saying, how can an individual who wants to be a federal judge possibly not know this? Stays and injunctions come before district court judges all of the time. This is not a trick question. Another bullseye to Senator John Kennedy, who's one of the most outstanding committee interrogators in the party. But the Biden administration's judge recruitment process, I've got to say, is a total shambles. We've now witnessed three major nominees, embarrassed, humiliated, and shown to be totally unsuitable for such appointments. And you've got some really crucial and era-defining issues coming before the courts at the moment. You've got parents taking on various states of the US over gender policy. You've got silly climate claims coming from groups of people, including students. And you've got racial determinations that are very important and create precedents 
for states. The US cannot afford to have dummies on the bench. But I guess what do you expect when there's one in the Oval Office most days? This is TNT Radio. You should hear what George Eliasson is talking about. Donald Trump's wolves. Now, we've talked about the Colorado case, the 14th Amendment case, and the judge has denied uh, the motion to dismiss. Now, if you don't remember, the suit cites the 14th Amendment clause banning those who participate or assist in the insurrection from taking office. And they're making this legal argument based on Trump's actions before and on January 6th. And when they claim that thousands of his supporters were creating an act of sedition at the Capitol. During January 6th, um, Trump actually offered to call the National Guard in. He told the protesters to keep things peaceful. And this is all public knowledge. This isn't a political action. They're trying to control, once again, who can run for the office of president and who cannot. War of the Worlds with George Eliasson on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at, and then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Scraping together all the news and information you need. It's engaging. At the top and bottom of the hour. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Just having a quick scan of our chat box, which is on tntradio.live. You're very much invited to register your comments and uh, have your say on what occurs on the program regularly on the chat box. Just go to tntradio.live. You'll see the little ladder on the left-hand side at the top. Press that. You'll get a menu and then press chat and off you go. I'll get to Natalie Beisner in just a second. I just wanted to give you a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of where we're up to in terms of the Gaza Strip. And the New York Times does a pretty good job of a dot point factual factualized chronology of what's going on. Um, it's not very Times-like opinion, so we can rely on it. And uh, it uh, is restricted to the facts, which is what we want at the moment. The Israeli military said it had recovered the body of a hostage kidnapped in the October 7 Hamas attack 
from a building near Al-Shifa Hospital. Now, that's interesting because the Israelis have said in the last 24 hours that they believe some of the hostages were in the Al-Shifa Hospital, but when Israeli soldiers came to the Al-Shifa Hospital to start their search of that premises, that property, they were taken out and certain guns were left behind and certain laptops as well which showed some information about hostages. So the hostage, the body of the hostage was found just near the hospital, which is curious. And, of course, as we know, it, they presented weapons. It's, they said it uh, were found at the hospital, which a lot of people are saying could not possibly be true. Uh, Israeli forces search Gaza's largest hospital for the second time today. So they're still in the premises and still searching the floors uh, Gazans are at risk of starvation, so UN humanitarian officials are saying, as they allege, Israel prevents flow of fuel and sufficient aid. Uh, Israel says soldiers recovered the body of a hostage near Al Shifa. Gaza's health ministry says thousands remain inside Al Shifa hospital. Uh, in a shift, the US does not block a UN resolution calling for humanitarian pauses in Gaza. I told you about it on the program yesterday. Gaza is plunged into a communications blackout once again amid this severe fuel shortage. That occurred about 12 hours ago. Um, how international law views military action at a hospital is uncertain, but there is um, an engagement law which dictates that the aggressor has to give notice that they are entering a hospital. Uh, Israel's opposition leader says he would join a coalition without Netanyahu. Let's take him out, which is basically, basically what the political opposition is saying at the moment. Meanwhile, the infamous letter to America by Osama bin Laden, written nearly two decades ago, has again stirred a debate online amid the ongoing horrors of the current Middle East crisis. The Guardian, which had published the original letter in November 2022, has removed it from its website on Wednesday after the letter went viral in the last few days. TikTok has now removed the hashtag letter to America from its search function as well. In the letter, bin Laden condemned US support for Israel and accused Americans of aiding the oppression of Palestinian people. TikTok spokesperson, Ben Ratha says, content promoting this letter clearly violates our rules on supporting any form of terrorism. Others argue against censorship to understand the motivation of terrorists. Let's bring in our guest live from Los Angeles, California, to discuss this and much more. Natalie Jean Beisner is a political content creator, former Hollywood actress, atheist and lifelong liberal who walked away from the Democratic Party in 2020. She's now a conservative Christian and passionately pro-life. Natalie Beisner, welcome back to TNT Radio. Good to have you on. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Firstly, what do you think of uh, what I had to say at the start of the program about the legal system and this conga line of dummies they put up that can't even answer very basic questions that you'd find in a first-year law book about terms that they'll probably have to deal with, heaven help they ever get to the federal court, they'll deal with on a regular basis. It's embarrassing, isn't it? 
It is embarrassing. I wish I could say it was surprising. Uh, you know, we have a sitting Supreme Court justice now who uh, needs a biologist to know what a woman is. So I guess yes. if that fundamental isn't there, then maybe, you know, the law stuff isn't there either. Uh, but I kind of think this ties into a lot of what we're seeing coming out of college campuses now. People are surprised they're waking up to it. Uh, obviously, this woman, Sarah Hill, is older, but I think that in general, universities, law schools, college college campuses, they're not actually teaching. Um, and this has been going on for at least 10 years. And we're all just sort of seeing it come to uh, come to fruition here. Um, I appreciate you pointing out that clip. I hadn't seen Kennedy questioning Sarah Hill that way. Uh, and they all just sort of laugh at it at the end. You know, she said, she said, my teacher would be appalled at the, at the very end of this six minute clip. Anyone can go find it on, on YouTube. And they all just kind of laugh and ha ha ha. So oh. I, I don't know. No, I mean, it's it's Well, it's, it's no shocking, laughing matter because she will have to no. preside over cases that some people put their entire life savings into to seek some kind of justice. And no wonder there's so much criticism about the decisions that come from the bench. Exactly. Yeah. And we're seeing less and less uh, American public trust in institutions over the course of the last three years, at least. And I think... I just I can't blame uh, the American public. No, exactly. And let's just hope those that are failing the test, at least publicly, don't end up being submitted officially as next the next nominees for the federal court. Let's let's move on to things that are very very edgy at the moment. Uh, in its violent extremist or criminal organisations policy, YouTube says that content intended to praise, promote or aid violent extremist or criminal organisations is not allowed on its platform. Uh, various social media have similar policies, we know that. Is it in the public interest to have Bin Laden's letter available or does it incite terrorism? Would you agree with what YouTube has done? Um, I always fall pretty hard on the First Amendment thing. I think that you should be able to say almost anything. And I understand that uh, YouTube, Twitter, X, whatever, uh, they are their own sort of entities and and maybe don't necessarily fall in line with that. But I think if nothing else, this is this is bringing to light a lot of what we are seeing, what I just mentioned coming out of college campuses, the fact that these 20-somethings and even 30-somethings on TikTok are, are just discovering this and uh, reacting to it and reacting to it in a way that we would mostly find shocking. I think that's important. I think that's necessary. And I, I think that we should be able to say and speak almost anything and, again, know who your enemies are uh, and know who thinks what. Is there any line to be drawn, though, between what normal everyday Americans, what normal everyday Australians even, post on a social media platform and what is represented on social media is coming from someone as vile and as deadly as Osama bin Laden was? Is there a line there between posting something from him, posthumously, of course, and what would come from normal people? Is there any line at all in your mind? 
Uh, that's a great question. I found it hard to read. I've never read it before, to be honest. I was very young when 9-11 happened and when the letter was written. Uh, and I found it hard to get through and hard to sit through knowing who wrote it and, and what it said. Uh, but I, I again, I'm going to fall on the line that it that it needs to be out there and people should be able to speak on it and comment on it. And you know what? The FBI has a lot of free time on their hands. They're going after American citizens, MAGA, Catholics, etc. Uh, so maybe they can keep an eye on who's saying what about Hamas and about bin Laden, etc. Maybe that could like clue them in. Uh, but again, I think free speech is free speech. And if you're inciting to violence to continue out what bin Laden started and did and finished, etc. Uh, that's a different story. But just the letter and repeating it and commenting on it and showing your stupidity, your ignorance, your misunderstanding of, of history and what has gone on. Uh, I think that should be permitted. Yeah. My, my feeling is it's an active, it's an active letter from history as opposed to someone living that says, I want you to go out and incite violence or I'm inciting violence and I want you to perpetrate that violence on a certain group. For these reasons, I think there's a little bit of a difference in saying, well, it was Bin Laden who wrote that letter and it now has a particular connection to what's going on in the Middle East right now. I think that's a lot different and I think I would probably agree with you and let it ride. Now, infighting at conservative media outlet The Daily Wire went public this week as the company's co-founder, Ben Shapiro, and show host Candace Owens traded escalating personal insults over differing views on the Israel-Hamas war. I don't have a, a problem within workplaces where people have differing opinions. It's not strange for that to occur. Everyone can't agree. I don't think there's a right and wrong. Shapiro was filmed saying Owens was disgraceful for her faux sophistication on the Israel-Hamas war. Owens has responded, calling Shapiro emotionally unhinged. Do you see this war? Um, I guess it's it's having divisive flow-on effects everywhere around there, but I would have thought this is the cut and thrust of everyday media, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I kind of wish the Daily Wire and conservatives in general could keep this uh, behind the scenes. I think this maybe could have been handled over text or over a phone call. I assume they have each other's numbers. Uh, it's been entertaining, if, if nothing else. You know, I uh, unfortunately, I think that this conflict among the awfulness of the conflict is tearing apart both the left and, you know, the left honestly can go to hell. So good riddance and the right, though, in, in many ways. I mean, it just even the reaction to the letter that we just spoke about is showing the hypocrisy of the left in that they're supporting Sharia law, but they're also LGBTQ+. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. And we all knew that. It's highlighting it. But it's dividing the right in a lot of ways. And I don't I don't love to see that. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I think the Daily Wire is so important. I think they could, in a few years, take on Disney. They're starting that Bent Key Children's Entertainment. Yeah. So I hope that they can kind of bury the hatchet. I, personally, I fall on the side of Candace Owens on this, uh, even though I don't typically do that. Uh, she just represents my belief. And I've also been called, you know, a hater of a certain group of people for that belief. So I can very much relate to her in that way. But in general, I would like to see people not tearing each other down on Twitter. I don't know. I don't think Shapiro knew he was being filmed 
in that moment, that viral video. But I guess you kind of got to assume you're always being filmed at a at a private event even. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. And I hope that in three months time, this will be ancient history. Shapiro wouldn't be the first emotionally unhinged media host, would he? I doubt that very much so. I think there's a long, long line of those sorts of people. But it did get rather personal. I want to take a break. I've got to get some news, Natalie. And we'll talk about Tucker Carlson and Candace Owens. We'll be back to tell you about the extension to that story with Nat Beisner right after a break on TNT Radio. I got news for you. TNT Radio News. It's about time. Matt Borland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has defended this week's raid on Gaza's largest hospital. Turkey Air's president has declared Israel a terrorist state, warning Netanyahu his days as Prime Minister are numbered. And Moscow has warned there is a real possibility diplomatic relations between the US and Russia could be severed entirely if Washington keeps pushing confrontational policies. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. I've got Nat Beisner with us. Now, Tucker Carlson has just had Candace Owens join him in a 40-minute sit-down interview, which I should say has already received over 11 million views on X. They covered important issues, which are censored by many news outlets, including COVID policy, (gasps) anti-white racism, (gasps) and the emotional response to news out of Israel. How important are the issues she covered, and given her bold determination to show leadership over difficult issues, do you see her as a a future U.S. president, maybe? (laughs) Listen, this might be an unpopular opinion. I hope to live not live long enough to see a female president. That's my opinion of the U.S. Hang on, hang on. (laughs) Hang on, you don't want a female to run the United States of America? I don't want it. Listen, I don't know. So far, it's been Hillary and, you know, Nikki Haley that they've offered us. Would Candace Owens bring out different emotions in me? I don't know. Hang on, what's the problem here? Is it their genitalia? Is it their wardrobe? What is it? Well, what even is a woman, you know? Um, No, I think that, I think... I think um, there are a lot of male leaders in the world, obviously a lot of non-Western countries, non-Western ideals. We're talking about that here. I would like a man to stand up to those men. There's a lot of people who hate America, and I kind of want a man to stand up to it. That That's neither here nor there. Uh, it's very the first- here. It's very here, Natalie. You've started I'm the not com- a feminist, okay? Well, you're, you're, very, you're not a feminist. You're an anti-feminist. I don't get it. I am. I don't get it. Right. See, I, I would disagree with you to say that I don't think we'd have a Middle Eastern dispute if the leaders of Israel and the leaders of, uh, say, the Palestinian Authority and Hamas were women. Maybe so, but you know, if women couldn't, listen, I'm not advocating for anything. If women couldn't vote in the U.S., we would never have another Democrat president again. So it's just, you know, toss up here. Oh. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, okay, if there, if there was no 19th Amendment, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. I think women have 
wonderful qualities. I love women, but we have a lot of empathy. I think this wokeness that we're seeing is toxic uh, femininity. We love to talk about toxic masculinity, but I think it's toxic femininity. It's it's weaponized empathy to where everything else goes out the window. Um, but that is probably fodder for another discussion. But that is my genuine opinion. I thought uh, Candace's uh, interview with Tucker Carlson was great, though. It's honestly the first time that I have watched him since he just went on X, uh, not for any particular reason, uh, just because this has captivated my attention. And I thought it was very enlightening. I think especially the point that they make about anti-white racism on college campuses, on universities, it's been going on for at least 10 years. There's a wonderful book called The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and, and Greg something, I'm forgetting his name right now. This has been going on for a long time. And it's obviously not just on colleges and universities. And I think that they bring up a good point about some people we're seeing a loss of support for Israel that maybe we haven't seen in a in a long time and i think that is because of indoctrination at these universities but also i think some people have a genuine question of okay why is this just now coming to the fore uh why does it only matter when it's against jewish people that that this is going on in universities why mm. do these donors only pull out now and listen i'm a staunch advocate for it's never too late to wake up i woke up later than i would have liked to have so i'm not condemning anyone if this does bring a lot of jewish americans to uh maybe walking away from the democrat party but i think that we have a valid question of this has been going on this has been sanctioned this has been in curriculum it's in curriculum now anti-white racism calling for white genocide so why now do we suddenly pay attention to what is going on in our colleges campuses and universities and i think that that's a valid point that they bring up and i think it's also a valid point that they both make um americans are very emotional about this overseas conflict and i can empathize with it i can understand i think it's horrible what's happened do we get this emotional, though, over our open border and the fentanyl no, that's coming sadly. in and the terrorists that are coming in? Do we get this emotional over anything? Do we get this emotional over the 24 election? Do we get this emotional over anything? The gas prices near me. And and these are life or death situations in many cases, although this was an atrocity that happened. So I just wonder how many America first people are really America first to where you are as invested in what is going on in your own country to your own countrymen as you are in something that is thousands of miles away. Okay, so we've got rid of women from the Oval Office, all right? <laughs> okay, so that's never going to happen. Can I raise another issue about the President's, say the Oval Office, how would you like to see Tucker Carlson be the running mate for Donald Trump? Is that permissible? Alice, I, I would love that. I think they're, you know, everyone saw them walking into UFC. I think they're a dream team. Uh, you know, the the vice president, I'm not as concerned with. Uh, but sure, why not? Okay. All right. Tucker's okay. Women are not. All right. I'm with you. Now, Ed... your, view, your listeners are going to despise me. So. <laughs> no, no. Only for only for an hour. Only for an hour. Uh, Anheuser Bush's InBev's US Chief Marketing Officer. Officer uh, Ben Ogabe is leaving the beverage giant following public backlash over a promotion that led to a sharp drop in sales of Bud Light, one of the company's most important products. The emphasis, uh, and I guess the lesson, is go woke, go broke, isn't it? I think so. You know, unfortunately, we just saw this uh, Bud Light deal with UFC after just mentioning UFC. You know, they're they're partnering together, which was kind of a surprise to me and, and sort of a an odd choice. And I don't think it'll hurt UFC at all. But yeah, I mean, Bud Light has suffered and uh, <laughs> I think they're paying 
uh, exorbitantly for this deal, this 185,000 deal that they made with Dylan Mulvaney that they promised was just a one-time can, uh, which I think we all knew the truth about that, that this yes. wasn't just a one-off can. I think they were testing the water, obviously, to that amount of money. They were testing the water to see whether they could make a campaign with Dylan. And obviously that that crashed and burned. Um, and I, I would say just keep it up, you know, keep it up. Don't don't drink Bud Light and uh, don't shop at Target and keep keep the pressure on. As a corporate media trainer, I always tell my chief executives, tell the truth. Always best to tell the truth because you've got too many people working for you that may not be happy and will gladly pass on information that will show you to be a liar. Once you're a liar, you lose all credibility and so does your brand. And I just think that when they came out of that first drama with Dylan Mulvaney, uh, and said, oh, we didn't really have a contract. We didn't really have an agreement. It wasn't a campaign. Stop fudging. Stop blocking. Stop telling poor lies. Just tell the truth and yeah. then say it's either you stand by that and you still stand by that or it was a mistake and we'll get on with it. Absolutely. We're not as stupid as people think we are, the, the American public or the public no. at large. And they have never once apologized. They kind of did a wishy-washy thing where they didn't mean to do this and they didn't mean to do that. But they've never apologized and said, hey, we understand that regular America, this doesn't represent you. And we are a brand that wants to represent you. They've never done that. They came out with another Clydesdale commercial, et cetera. And I think the public can feel when you are pandering to us. Yeah. And so give us more credit than you do. Please. Yeah, please. And, and if you look at the numbers, this is the campaign that wasn't a campaign. $185,000 in Dylan Mulvaney's skyrocket pocket for what was a disastrous influ influencer campaign. Why so much money? $185,000. That was a little bit more than a non-campaign. I think so. Listen, I don't I don't make this kind of money online uh, or anywhere at all. <laughs> I don't make any money online, so I don't know. Uh, but I assume that, you know, Dylan has a very, very uh, large following. Uh, I, I've heard numbers that Dylan charges to show up at events and to speak at things, usually women's events and how to be a woman, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's what Dylan Mulvaney goes for. <laughs> For a non-campaign. You, you said that uh, maybe our listeners would despise you. Well, Nev, Nev K has sent a message in the chat box. Do you want to hear what Nev K said? Uh, I guess so, sure. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Why not? Can yeah. you take it? Can you take it, Natalie? I, <laughs> yes, I've, uh, I've built myself up over the past few years. <laughs> okay. Nev says, I like this girl. Oh, good. Okay, great. Yes. <laughs> um, and another one, Robert, says, sock it to him, Nat. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you, Robert and Nev K. Thank you. I'm yeah. not the only one, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, what about the boycotts? Can I just, while we're on the subject, why don't we ask this subject? During the time that Bud Light was in all sorts of drama and they went from one to number 17 in terms of beer popularity and crashed so badly, it was the ultimate corporate embarrassment around the world. A lot of people were saying, oh, the boycotts won't work. You know, people are not buying the beer anymore. They just won't work. And I've got to say, in the in the Anheuser-Busch case, they continue to say publicly that they stand by what they did. They really haven't apologised. They certainly haven't failed to pay Dylan Mulvaney $185,000. Um, 
Do boycotts work? Do you think boycotts of this kind? I think boycotts work. Yes, I, I think we have a long way to go. Uh, you know, I don't want to blow smoke <laughs> for conservatives. We have a long way to go to take back the culture. Uh, but I think that Bud Light, even Target to a lesser extent, we have seen that they do work and that public pressure matters and we need to keep it up. We do need to continue to create our own parallel economy in tandem. But yes, your your dollar matters. We vote with our dollar and it's easy to just give up, go with the cheapest option. I understand that. I, I do that often. I'm not going to pretend that I don't because you have to survive. But at the end of the day, your dollar matter every, matters. Everyone wants your dollar. So yeah, why why wouldn't it work? And we are the silent majority and i think we need to be louder we are the majority i'm not even saying everyone's a conservative but most people in america i would venture to guess in australia believe that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and you cannot cross between the two so that is the majority and stop being silent your dollar is part of that tony has sent me are these all members of the beisner family i, I can't believe this uh, pelly 69 tony says marry me nat you're an absolute legend <laughs> These are all family members, right? <laughs> I know. I don't know. Maybe I don't. Oh. Think so. I hope not. My family. I don't know if we're that close to where we're talking about marrying each other. <laughs> hey, but listen. Great. You know, I may get there sooner or later. Start marrying my cousins. <laughs> it might get to that point, Stop. Chris. Okay. Stop. I'll call you in five years. Whoever that was. We'll too, see. Too much information. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> all the very best. Thank you. You're not a disgrace, but I. I'm still scratching my head as to why you don't want women to run the country. We'll talk her, about it more, maybe. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah, you so yeah, much, yeah. Next Chris. week, next week. Thank you very much for your time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Natalie Beisner from LA. Always something to say that gets you thinking and always something to argue about. Should a woman run the United States of America? Give me a call on that. Have we got any women listening that want to stand up and say, I'd like to run the United States? I tell you what, you do a better job than Joe Biden. From the United States and Canada, one eight 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 two zero one six four two five. Should we keep it to white men? Should we keep it to black men? Should we keep it to I don't know who else should not run for president? From the UK, zero double three double zero two four one zero two six. From Australia and New Zealand, one eight hundred six seven zero three one zero. Let's see what you've got to say. Come and talk on our open line. You get VIP treatment and there's absolutely no ceiling on opinion. It is Friday afternoon where I am right here in the Gold Coast of Queensland in Australia. Good to have your company. This is TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little 
enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. But remember, there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... <laughs> okay. And around the world for any animal, any disaster. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Interesting to see a little bit of news out of Israel that I've got to say I'm very happy about, which is that someone is no longer alive. The Hamas terrorist who paraded festival goer Shani Luke's body through Gaza has been killed by Israel, a rabbi has claimed. The mother of Shani, Shani was just 23 years of age, mind you, who was shot dead by Hamas terrorist on October 7, reportedly told a leading rabbi that the terrorist who paraded her naked body through Gaza on the back of a truck was killed by Israeli forces. The tattoo artist's family spent weeks believing that Shani had been kidnapped from the Nova Electronic Festival on October 7 by Hamas before Israeli soldiers confirmed she'd been killed after they found fragments of her skull on October 30. During those harrowing three weeks, Shani's family had to contend with seeing a disturbing video where the 23-year-old's half-naked body was splayed in the back of a truck, surrounded by terrorists and jeering crowds who spat on her. She's simply a Jewish girl who obviously lives in Israel. I'm sorry, I don't see the point of being that vile, that much of a savage to someone who's got absolutely nothing to do with the government and nothing to do with the politics of the nation. (sighs) Boy. But it's emerged that the terrorist who paraded her body was killed. Rabbi Shmuley said, Ricarda, that's the mother, told him the IDF had killed the monster who had his legs over Shani's body in the back of the truck while screaming, Alu Akbar. As sick as it gets. If, if your God permits you to do that to any other human being, for whatever reason whatsoever, I'm sorry, it's not a God that I find conducive to modern life. This says more about the savages that did this as opposed to any kind of religion. (sighs) Shmuley posted on X, Yesterday, Ricarda Luke revealed to us she said it so quietly and with such dignity that the IDF had killed the monster targeted and killed that savage Hamas monster who had his legs over her naked body, screaming Aloh Akbar as he paraded a body around Gaza City. The man is now roasting in hell where he belongs, and that will be the fate of the all the Hamas monsters. Thank you, IDF. Shani's brother, Amit Luke, 20, revealed earlier this month his whole family crashed when they saw the abducted festival goer 
being paraded by Hamas terrorists on a truck where they were spitting on her like she was nothing. Ugh. I just don't want to read it. I, how, would, how, how does that family get those images out of their minds, out of their heads? How do they not have nightmares about that for the rest of their living days? And how dare anyone treat a 23-year-old girl dancing with that kind of physical venom? Just repulsive. I mentioned to you about what Germany was doing, doing, and I said that many other countries around the world would be preparing and preventing as much as possible, as much as they can, any kind of local reaction to what's occurring in Gaza. Well, police in Germany have conducted raids at 54 sites across the country as part of an investigation into an Islamic centre for alleged links to Iran and the terror... and the uh, Iranian-backed group Hezbollah. The Ministry of the Interior said Thursday's operation primarily targeted the Islamic Centre of Hamburg, as well as five affiliate groups as hundreds of police conducted raids in seven German states. This gives you an indication. Let's presume that they've got most of this right. Maybe not all of it, but most of it right. 54 different properties over that many parts of Germany for the one terror group and a terror group that's located in Europe, not necessarily in Lebanon. The Interior Ministry and the Minister, Nancy Fazer said, I want to make it clear that we are acting against, not, sorry, clear that we are acting against Islamists, not against a religion or another state. We have the Islamist scene in our sights, especially now when many Jews feel particularly threatened We do not tolerate Islamist propaganda or any Semitic Semitic and anti-Israel hate speech, she added. Uh, The raids were carried out as Jewish, Muslim and Arab communities around the world say they are experiencing an uptick in discrimination and intimidation as the war between Israel and Palestinian group Hamas intensifies. Faisal said the IZH has long been monitored by the Domestic Intelligence Agency. The ministry said the centre supported the revolutionary concept championed by Iran's supreme leader, which may be a violation of Germany's constitutional order. No arrests were made... And the government said the raids were focused on gathering evidence for its investigation into support for Hezbollah. So nothing has come from that. 54 locations and no one's arrested. Um, That, to me, is a little bit strange. You may have a view on that. Give us a call on our... Talkback numbers from the US or Canada, 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, you can call 1-800-670-310. This story from Australia is starting to make international headlines. A 12-year-old girl charged with murder over a fatal stabbing, had an intellectual disability and had been running wild while in state care for years, according to sources. Homicide detectives on Thursday arrested the girl at the Royal Hotel building in Barclay Street in Footscray, Melbourne, after a 37-year-old woman was found dead in her home inside the converted complex at about 2am. The girl remained under police guard in hospital before she was charged with one count of murder on Thursday night. She's 12. 12. 
She's believed to be one of the youngest Victorians to face a murder charge ever. While the age of criminal liability in Victoria is age 10, the state government has committed to raising the age to 12 by the end of 2024. Sources close to the horrific case have told the Herald Sun that the girl should have been in long-term secure welfare. But the state had no such facilities for children with intellectual disabilities. Can you believe this stuff? You know she's running wild. You know she's got a severe intellectual disability. She's a danger to the people that she comes in contact with. And we don't have facilities to work out what to do with someone like that. That is unfair to an unknowing public. The girl has been in residential care for several years. She was in Victoria. She was on Victoria Police's radar. But what's what good's that if you can't do anything about her? With one source saying she may have been prostituted out. At 12, the girl had routinely run away from her care facilities, going missing for days at a time, sources have revealed, and had been the subject of dozens of warrants for return to placement. Earlier this year, she had briefly been in secure welfare, and there had been a push for her to be held in a similar setting more permanently, but advocates said that no such facilities were available. Gee. Can you believe it? The Herald Sun has been told that several calls were made to police over concerns for the girl's welfare and mental health in the weeks leading up to the death on Thursday. Boy, oh boy. A youth worker has told the paper that the girl's young age was a prime example of authorities failing to protect the state's youngest and most vulnerable children. You'd have to agree, wouldn't you? If someone's that far out of control... Something has to be done to detain her and make her better. And don't tell me with some direct care that someone like that at 12 years of age can't be made better. I'm not saying made perfect. I'm simply saying made better. Um, This is interesting. Tuberculosis. I don't know whether you know too much about tuberculosis or have had friends or family that has had it. But in 2022, an estimated 1.2 million people died around the world from COVID-19. But forget about all of that. 1.3 million died from tuberculosis, according to the World Health Organization. 1.2 million from COVID-19 in 2022. 1.3 million from tuberculosis. Gee, we haven't had lockdowns, mandates or any kind of daily press conferences based on tuberculosis, have we? As cases of the COVID-19 virus and related deaths dwindle, tuberculosis caused the bacterium Mycobacterium tuberculosis has reclaimed its spot as the deadliest infectious disease. TB is curable, provided we diagnose it early, intervene, and the drug regime is followed religiously, according to the National Science Chair at the Indian Institute of Technology. But it's a huge problem, tuberculosis, 1.3, and that is in 2022, 1.3 million. Quite amazing. Now, coming up next hour on the program, I'm very glad that, Tony, you've sent me a message on the chat box saying you're looking forward to John Ruddick. Yes, it is a Ruddick day. You made a, a quite logical comment there. It is a Ruddick day, and you're very happy for him to be on. He'll be joining me next hour on the program. I'll also be catching up with Shane Healy, who you've heard a couple of times previously on the show. He is an anti-terrorist, sorry, anti-terror and intelligence officer, which is a mouthful, uh, from the Australian ADF. 
He has had and done a lot of work around the Middle East, and he'll tell us a little, little bit about what's going on and what we know exists in that main hospital. He might have a view on whether it is being used as a shield or not. And we'll talk further about AUKUS, this trilateral agreement between the US, the UK and Australia over nuclear submarines. There are a couple of hurdles to jump over in terms of AUKUS, and Shane Healy has some submariner experience that he'll share with us on the program as well. And then we'll talk to uh, my fellow TNT host, Robbie Brennan. Uh, he's one of the speakers at uh, this weekend's Australians for Science and Freedom Conference. It's on from 8.30 tomorrow and also Sunday. We'll talk to him about what it's all about. And maybe you'd like to get some tickets and go along and fight the good fight. Back after the news, this is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. TNT Radio.